and welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. You know, guys, we're in the next week of our series, and uh, so we've been talking about the series TikTok. And no, it's not the app on your phone. It's the uh, it's the time tick tock tick tock. That's what I uh, I've been told it is. So just like the clock. Um, so this week we're going to talk about the easy yoke, the easy yoke. So Jesus talks about his burden is light, and it's an easy yoke. So we want to look at that, what that means to us, and how does that apply to our lives. So come with me to uh, Matthew chapter eleven. Verse 28, it should come up on the screen. Yep, we're up on the screen. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden is light. So we've been talking about this whole idea of eliminating hurry out of our lives, taking hurry out of our lives and getting a a more sustainable pace in our life like Jesus had. Jesus never ran to any place. He walked everywhere he went. He uh, occasionally was found on a donkey, but generally Jesus walked from place to place and he was never in a hurry. He was never, he never burdened himself with over... Uh, putting an over-importance on something. He had a very steady pace that he worked, he walked by and he lived by in his life. And those, that pace that he had was, uh, you know, intense times of ministry where he would give out and he would put out to people and people would be healed and transformed and set free. But then there was also this element of the pace that he walked and his lifestyle where he would retreat to a solitary place, a place in the mountains or a place, a place away from everybody to uh, spend that time with God and, and connect with God, So, with the, who is his father. And so we, we see that there is this balance or this this, uh, I don't like the word balance as much as I, uh, I think, but just the, there was just a feel in Jesus' life of a pace that was sustainable. And now if you look at what Jesus achieved on the, in the three years of ministry that he had, he, he achieved a lot. He, he, he had lots of ministry, lots of people following him, but he also had the ability to raise up the disciples and then and, and the other 12 and then, then there was 72 behind that and there was all these people that followed him and, and the, ultimately the church was birthed out of what Jesus established on the earth. And so it wasn't like he was a lazy person that did nothing. He didn't just sort of slob around on the, on the couch and, and kind of just watch Netflix all day. Although sometimes that's really good and we, should, we do need time like that just to, you know, rest and relax and, and not do anything that's uh, going to, you know, kind of wear us out. But, uh, but Jesus was just very intentional with being where he needed to be, when he needed to be there and doing what he needed to do, but doing it in a way where he didn't allow others to pressure him into making himself more busy, more, more um, overwhelmed and over overrun by what was around him. Jesus always had his own pace that he lived by. And it was a sustainable pace. 
He realised that the whole kingdom of God was not going to just rest on the fact on the three years that he was on the earth. He, really, he knew that he had a job to do. He knew that he had to raise up disciples. He had to, he had to do a whole lot of different things to fulfil the law and he had to ultimately hang on a cross for you and I. He knew that there was a whole lot of stuff for him to do. But he also knew that he needed to be able to have the energy to do it and not run out of puff halfway up the mountain, if you like. So I wanted to talk to you about that today. I want to talk about this easy yoke, this, this yoke that Jesus talks about here and the burden that he talks about in this passage. Because there's, a, there's two burdens in this passage. One is the burden of the Pharisees. The other is the burden of Christ. And they're both burdens in their own right. But one is sustainable and one is unsustainable. So the first thing Jesus says here is he says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Now we have to understand the context of what he, who he's speaking to here. Because he's talking to people that have been burdened by the law for many, 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 many years. They've been overrun by religious tradition and legalism and, 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 and they were overwhelmed with all the rules that were around the Sabbath and all the rules that were around how you would approach God and how you would, uh, you know, they weren't even allowed to come to God themselves. They had to have somebody else intercede for them called a priest because, because they were not worthy enough, but the priest was worthy enough to once a year come before God in that uh, inner tent and, and, and make the sacrifices necessary for everybody to uh, find that forgiveness and be and appease God. And so they had these people that thought that they had to jump through hoops. Who knows that you might be able to jump through a hoop down here. But if I hold the hoop up here, you're going to find it really hard to get through that hoop. So, we, so, so the way these people were living is there was the hoop started down here. And then there was something like four to four to six hundred laws or rules around the Sabbath and everything to do with their religion that they would have to appease God through, which they quickly worked out in, in their life that this is impossible to achieve because every time they get through one hoop, the hoop got lifted a little bit higher. And then it got lifted a little bit higher. And they might have got through three or four hoops, but eventually it got to a point where it was unattainable for them to be able to achieve what they were being asked to achieve. So and a lot of the rules that were put in place were not even God's rules, they were man's rules on how they perceived someone should approach God. But the reality was that the Pharisees were putting these rules on people, but not even living those rules themselves. And Jesus actually confronts them on that. In Luke eleven forty six. He says, you load people up with burdens that they cannot carry or they cannot achieve. And he goes on to say, but you don't even carry them or achieve them yourself. So he was this thing that even the people that were imposing the rules knew that the rules were too hard to keep. And so they were burdened. These people were burdened with the weight of trying to come to God and be accepted by Him. So when Jesus got up and His words that came out of His mouth to these people were, come to me. That was like a revolution in their thinking to have a teacher of the law get up and actually stand up and say, come as you are, come with all your mistakes, come with all your problems, come with all the mess in your life, come to me with all your sin, everything that is separating you from God, just come to me. These people would have been blown 
away by that message. Completely like, who is this guy? Every other teacher of the law would not say this. They would say, well, have you made the right sacrifices? Have you jumped through enough hoops? Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you prayed enough? Have you read your Bible enough? Have you fellowshiped enough? Did you make every church service this month or did you miss one? Oh, you missed one. Oh, hang on a minute. If you missed, oh, you're gonna need to make up that service and we're gonna call that, um, you know, like a, that's like an afternoon detention from you. You're gonna have to come along and you're gonna have to make up that extra service because if you don't, then well, you're not really appeasing God and God's not happy with you. Aren't we lucky we don't serve a God like that? Aren't we lucky that we don't serve a God that keeps a checks and balances on where we are, who we are, what we're doing all the time? Like He knows it all, but, it, but He doesn't even present that to us because He's not after, he's not after your, um, He's not really after your outward behaviour as such. He's actually after your heart. And He knows if He can capture your heart, then He can mould the behaviour on the outside. But the reality of it all is, is it's not us that transforms our life. I talked about this the other week. God, it's not about the external behaviour of our life that God's after. God knows that we get it wrong. He knows that we mess up. He knows that we fall and stumble. He knows that we sin and we make mistakes and we say things we shouldn't say. He knows that we get offended and we find it hard to forgive. He knows all those things. He knows all about our humanity. Why? Because, well, He sent Jesus and Jesus came as a human. He experienced everything that we've experienced, the temptation of everything that we have experienced, that we've done. Jesus didn't do it, but He, ex he experienced the temptation to do it. He experienced the fullness of what sin feels like on His life. So He is not a stranger to the humanity of man. He knows that we are not perfect. And yet He stands up and He says, come. Come to me, all you who are weary. Now, he's not talking about physical burden here. He's talking about religious burden. He's talking about understanding what it truly means to be in a relationship with God. That's what he's talking about. See, the Pharisees' burden was, was oppressive. It was a burden of self-righteousness and legalism. They didn't just want to keep the law. They wanted people to see them keeping the law because there was a self-righteousness about them. They thought they could get themselves right with God because righteousness is basically, the basic understanding of what righteousness is in the Bible, it is right standing with God. I'm righteous with God means I'm in the right position, right standing with Him. Well, these guys had self-righteousness, so they thought they could, they could do all the right things in their world to put themselves in a position where they were right with God from what they did. This is why they had all the rules, because they thought that they had to do everything to appease God. But then Jesus comes with this message and says, listen, it's impossible to, please, to appease God in your own strength. Without me, without him, Jesus, not me, Dave, Dave's no good to you. Dave won't get you through the door. I can't even, I, I have to get, I can't even get through the door sometimes. I've got to work that out with God myself. But it's like, but it's like, come to me, he says. Why? Because he is the only answer. He is the doorway. He is the threshold. He, without Jesus, there is no access. Doesn't matter how good you are. 
There is no law, no law whatsoever, no amount of law keeping that can bridge the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. There is nothing you can do to make yourself good enough to be accepted in heaven. Not a thing. We are powerless to transform our own lives. We are powerless to even change the outcome of what our life is. We need Jesus and Jesus knew that and that's why He came and He said, come to me because without me, you have no options. There is only one direction for you. But if you come to me, I can give you rest, true rest, real rest. I can teach you, as the Message Bible says, the unforced rhythms of grace. Doesn't that sound nice? Sounds much better than the 600 rules that you must appease, the 600 hoops that you must jump through, the unforced rhythms of grace. He says, come and learn from me. See, this is what we're talking about. I mentioned this the other week. I could tell you how to change your behaviour, how to be a good Christian. And you could go home and you could try and you would do that and you would change those behaviours and you would think, look at how good I am. And you would try that and in about an hour down the track, your child would come in the house or your wife or your husband would walk in and they'd come in with dirty boots or they would say something. And all of a sudden, all that hard work that you put in to be such a good Christian has just gone out the door because you've flown off the handle at the kids. You've had a shot at your husband for wearing his dirty work boots in the house or you got home from work and your wife didn't do what you wanted her to do. And all of a sudden, chaos has broken out And all that hard work that you put in to achieve that behaviour change, all that effort that made you feel so good about yourself, is all out the door and you've got to start again. Why? Because we don't have what it takes to change our lives the way God wants us to be. We don't have the ability. We cannot extend grace to ourselves like that. Grace has to come from Jesus. Mercy comes from Jesus. Life transformation comes from that encounter of Jesus and His grace and His mercy that He extends to us freely. But I can't change my life. I cannot behave good enough. Ask my mum. She raised me naughty all the time. No, I was actually the most well-behaved child of all the child, all the childs, all the children. I'm also the most uneducated one of all the childs. <laughs> I was a good boy. That's what I saw in the mirror, Matilda, a good boy. He says, come to me, all you who have burden, who, have, who are weary and burdened, all you with a tired, of trying to come to God and jump through all the hoops of religion and what you think you should be doing, what you think you would do and what people have told you you should do and how you should act and what you should do. Don't you dare come to church with red hair, Matilda, because red is so close to the colour of the fire of hell. Did you know that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the microphone. I've got the wrong glasses. 
You need to change your hair colour before you can go to heaven. You need to stop smoking cigarettes before you can go to heaven. You need to stop drinking so you can come to church. You need to stop yelling and swearing and whatever else you may do to be able to come to church because, you know, to come to church means that you have to be perfect. But then you get into church and we see so many of us wanting to be perfect, but, but the reality is none of us are. And we love the Christians that realise that and they're the guys, and, and, and I love this church because we're like that. We're the ones that go, you know what? This is who I am. And thank God for Jesus because if it wasn't for Him, where would I be? See, we need to be, we need to be believers that have a, a sober opinion of ourselves. We know who we are. We know our failings. We know our mistakes. We're not scared to share them. We're not scared to to walk in and own it even. Because why? Because we know that it's not about us. It's not about our ability to transform our life. It's not about our ability to even change behaviours. It's about Christ working in us to transform us, to transform the inner man on the inside of us or inner woman, if you want me to be that way as well. But, But the inner person on the inside of us Geez, that's just a rabbit hole if you go down that one, isn't it? <laughs> so Jesus says, come to me. Jesus' approach to us, he starts from a position of acceptance. Come, I'll accept you. I'll accept you, even though you are worn out. Even though you, have, you feel like you've completely failed God even though you feel like you're completely unworthy of his attention or even relationship with him. Jesus says, come. These guys were blown away because they'd never heard the message before. Come, I accept you just as you are. And we know the reality of that statement is, I accept you just as you are, but I love you too much to leave you the way you are. But he doesn't expect you to change or, or, or somehow become a better person without first coming into relationship with Him. He knows that the process must be the invitation and then the accepting of the invitation so that then the connection can take place and relationship can happen so that transformation can happen on the inside of us. Then the behaviour changes. Not because the outward appearance is making a change, but because the internal mechanism or the internal motive on the inside of us to want to be better because Christ has changed us on the inside. So we start to desire better things for our life because He changed us. We no longer have a desire for that sin anymore. It no longer makes us feel good about ourselves in any way. When we feel good about ourselves is when we sit down and we sit at the Father's feet and we start to talk to God and we spend time with Him in His presence and all of a sudden we feel better. So we start to draw near to Him and pull away from things that are not good for us because it's through Him that we have the freedom. He says, come to me, I accept you just as you are. So He says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. This is the great exchange. This is what I love about it. There's a great exchange that takes place here. He takes the heavy burden of religion and oppression and legalism and and, and everything that's bad about that. 
And there's a great exchange that takes place in Christ. And he says, my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There's a transference. They're both a burden. They're both a yoke. They both carry weight. Even Jesus' burden for our life has a weight, a weightiness to it. It's not nothing. But the difference between the, the Pharisees' burden of what they were putting on people and, and what Jesus was offering them in exchange was that when you take on what Jesus has got for you, you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to be able to live to the, to the level that God is asking you to live to. If you don't have Christ, you will never meet the law. You'll never be able to live the righteous life that, that the law promises. But, but if you have Christ, then, then the power of God lives within you. Christ lives within you. The Holy Spirit is within you to be able to equip and empower you and help you live to the standard that Christ is asking you to live. Some even say, well, what's the point? Because Jesus's expectations in, in the New Testament are actually higher and, and, and more burdensome than the Pharisees. Because Jesus is asking us to live to a higher level. So they go, what's the point of even bothering? Because we couldn't do it here. But here is Jesus saying, you know, He says, some say that, you know, like, I can't even remember the Scripture now off the top of my head. But, you know, you go through and you see Jesus talking about this in the, on the uh, Sermon of the Mount. He's saying, some say this, but I say this. Some say that, but I say that. So even if you look at a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery. But before it was, well, just don't commit adultery with women. So don't go and sleep with another woman. You'd be stoned to death. Jesus goes, I'm going to go a step further. It's not even that. It's even if you think about it. And we go, well, that's a big standard. But the difference is that Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit and has given you His grace to be able to empower you to live to the standard that He's asking you to live. It's because you're in relationship with Jesus that you're able to attain that level. Why? Because, because it's not even, it's, it's like the internal mechanism on the inside of us has been shifted to live differently in our life. So we start to live to a moral code that we've never had before, not because we're striving for it, but because Jesus has empowered us to do it. And does it happen overnight? Of course not. We still have our struggles and burdens. We still have our times where we fall over and get it wrong. But isn't it great that God's not the God of a second chance? He's the God of another chance. And every time I fall over, He helps me get up again. Every time I get it wrong, His forgiveness is there for me. His grace is there. His mercy is there. And He just says, come on, get up again. Don't stay on the floor, Dave. Don't live in that mess. Let me help you up again. Let me get you out of that. Let's start walking again. We can sort that out. That can come to pass. We can fix that. Just keep coming to me. And here's the thing. What matters most is that we come. That's what matters most. No matter what's going on, no matter how you feel, what, maybe what's gone wrong or how the distance you even maybe feel with God because you don't feel close to Him or, or maybe you've done something that's made you, making you feel separated or you just feel like you're not worthy enough. Jesus goes, don't worry about that. Just come. And that's what matters most, that we just come to Him 
Because when we come to Him, we put ourselves in a position where He's able to move and do things in our life that if we don't come to Him, He won't do. We've got to open the doors of our heart to Him. And then the great exchange comes. You know, there's a story about a little girl in, um, in Vietnam, in the Vietnam War. And her name is Kim, and I don't know if this is how you pronounce it in their language, but Kim Phuc. So she was uh, also referred to as the napalm girl. Do we remember that? Some of us would remember those images. Some of us maybe are too young to remember those images on the television. I'm probably too young to, I don't think I've actually seen it as a child. I think I see it now because I've researched it. But So she was a girl at nine years old. There was a photo taken of her in Vietnam when a napalm attack had happened. Now, napalm is, is like just, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. They used to drop it in areas and it'd just be like a ball of flame. And it was made up of chemicals that would just cover everything. And everything was completely burnt. Everything was gone, like one night when they napalmed an area. And this girl had ended up getting napalm all over her back at nine years old. And the picture of her, the famous picture of her from Vietnam is her running down the street naked, completely in pain and tears and, and, and just completely, her whole life was like, you know, she could have died, but she didn't, she survived. But uh, she, she ended up becoming a Christian later in life. She ended up becoming a believer in Christ. And, and so I was reading something this week and I saw her story. And so I want to just read you this to her because this talks about this great exchange that Jesus can do in our life. So it says, uh, Kim, Kim Fuk, referred to informally as the napalm girl, is a South Vietnamese woman best known as the nine-year-old child depicted in a photo taken during Vietnam War. The well-known photo shows her at nine years of age, running naked on a road and after being severely burned on her back by the South Vietnamese napalm attack. After the attack, Kim Fuchs suffered from a lot of pain daily. She was filled with shame, rejection, anger, bitterness, and even wanted to commit suicide until she met Jesus. And this is her speaking. I really needed peace and someone to take away my burden. That moment I accepted Jesus was an amazing turning point for me. The circumstance outside did not change a bit, but inside my heart, I'm missing that comment. <laughs> she goes, it enabled me. Inside my heart, I was transformed. It, in, it has enabled me to pray for my enemies rather than curse them. It has enabled me not to just tolerate them, but truly to love them. I will forever bear the scars that day. And the picture will always serve as a reminder of the unspeakable evil which humanity is capable of. That picture defined my life in the end. Uh, defined, sorry, that picture defined my life. In the end, it gave me a mission, a ministry, a cause. And now she, she actually works with children who have suffered trauma in her life. Well, one of the statements she said, it's not in that passage, but she said, I needed somebody to come and take the burden away from me. And the burden that was taken from her was only lifted because she came into relationship with Jesus Christ. The only reason she was able to forgive and to turn her heart from anger and hatred to love 
was because there was a great exchange that took place in her life for Jesus to come in. She no longer had to try and figure out God. She had God and it transformed her life. There was a great transaction that took place from heaviness to lightness. The key to it though is this. Once you hand it over to God, once that exchange takes place, we have to learn to leave it alone and not pick it up again. Because we will give it to Jesus. We will give Him the burden. But we, in the same breath, can take it back from Him because if we find our identity in that burden, if we find our, our identity in what has happened to us and what has moulded us as in life or in that religious action, then we can easily take it back from Him and start living in conformity to that again. So we have to have this moment with Jesus, just like Kim did, where, she, where there's a transaction that takes place that transforms us and we allow that transformation to take deep root in our heart. So we never, ever pick it up again. We never, ever go back to hatred against that person. We never, ever go back to that place of hatred of ourself. We never ever go back to that place where we've been freed from religious uh, oppression. And and so we, we leave that religious oppression behind. We no longer want to bow down to that thing. And we come into the freedom that we find in Christ and that relationship where, you know, we do what we do because we want more of Him. You know, when I was in the Philippines a few, oh, many years ago now, probably 10 years ago, I remember we went and checked out in Cebu City, we went and checked out this beautiful old Catholic church. Catholicism is a massive thing in uh, the Philippines. It's their predominant religion. Um, anyway, we went along to this, uh, this cathedral. It was like, it was massive. They, they had tens of thousands of members in this church and they would meet there every Sunday. The place would be packed. We went there midweek. And I remember we're just looking and in, in the Philippines, there's a, there's a really, really, really over the top uh, worship of the saints, more so than Jesus. They, they, they the saint for this, saint for that, saint for this. And purgatory is a big thing, right? So they, they've got all these little places around the city where you go and you put your money in because you want to get, you know, grandma out of that, out of purgatory into heaven. So you've got to pay for that. And, and, and anyway, we went to this, um, this church and I think the aisle, the centre aisle was probably about 20 metres, 25 metres long. It was really long. And uh, we're just standing at the door and I remember looking through and, and there wasn't a service on, but there was people seated in the pews and, and there was this one little old lady. She, I don't know how old she would have been, it was, but she was, she was right at the back of the room, in, right in the centre, right at the back of the room. And then I just, I was just, my eye caught, for some reason my eye caught her and I was watching her and she just started doing this weird, well it wasn't weird, it was kind of reverent for her, but she would take a step, she would kneel down on her knees, bow down and she would get up and she would take one or two more steps. She'd kneel down on her knees. She'd touch her head on the floor. She would, and then she would get up again. And she did this all the way to the front altar for like 20, 25 metres. Every few steps, she'd stop, bow down, up again, bow down, up again, bow down, up again. And I, I, you know what, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the burden of religion that's on this lady's life. The things she was doing that did not, mean anything to God at all. But she had been deceived into thinking that there was a certain way you had to approach him, that that you had to go jump through hoops to get there. And it broke my heart to see this lady. She's probably done that every day of her life and probably even now still doing it because she's never had a real relationship with Jesus in her life. 
So she thought she had to come to God in a certain way. But what I love about this message from Jesus is he just says, come. Come as you are. Learn my ways. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Understand that you can come to him in any setting, in any place, at any moment. There is no barrier. There is no blockage. There is no structure anymore when it comes to coming to him. You just come to him. You don't need somebody to do it on your behalf. You just come to him. That means I can be at home on my lounge and I can just close my eyes or I can just look away to God and I'm there with him. Just like that. There's no, there's no hoops to jump through. There's no special things to say. There's no right way to pray. It's just come to him and talk to him. Lord, this is how I feel today. Sometimes it's, Lord, I don't have a clue what to say, but here I am. And that's okay. And often what you'll find is you come to him like that, he prompts things in your heart. You have little thoughts. You go, oh, that person, oh, this is happening. Oh, yeah, God, let's talk about that. Before you know it, you're chatting away to him. Learn Jesus' way. We want to go from in, in external discipline to internal transformation. The whole idea of this whole series is that in itself. Spiritual formation. That we're not just saying, I'm a Christian, which blankets a whole... And that's great and it's fantastic and Christians will go to heaven. I'm not saying anything about that. But I personally don't want to get to the end of my life and only be known as he was a good Christian. I want people to know me as a good disciple, someone that has sold out for Christ, someone that has given all, all his heart, everything he, of himself to follow Christ and be in relationship with him, someone that was willing to give up everything to follow the call that God gave him on his life. I want to be known more than just a decision I made 16, 17, 18 years ago. I want to be more than that. I want to be more than someone that just made a, a decision on an altar. I want to be somebody that when God looks at me, he sees he sees me and he's pleased. Not because of my external efforts, but because I just opened my heart to him and allowed him to have access to my, my whole life and let him direct me and lead me. I want to be known as that apprentice of Jesus, that disciple, that, that, that follower of Christ, that, that person that went beyond a decision to a lifestyle of worship, beyond a decision to a complete transformation of discipleship. That's who I want to be known as. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to learn Jesus' ways. I want to know those ways, those, you know, that, 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 those rhythms of grace that he talks about. I want to live in that space. I don't want my life, I don't want my life dictated to by external worldly things. I want my life dictated by Christ. I want Him to tell me what to do. I want to hear His voice every day and follow His leading in my world. I want to walk at the pace Jesus walked at. I don't want to get a step behind and I don't want to get a step ahead. I want to stay in step with His Spirit. Because I know if I can get into that step with Him, and walk to his beat of the drum, then I'm going to be living a sustainable life, a life that can go the distance. I'm not going to burn out halfway through. I'm not going to burn out three quarters of the way through. I'm not going to get tired of this faith that I've decided to follow. Why? Because I've realised that there's a pace to everything that we do in Christ. 
It's a sustainable pace. We slow down to connect with Him. You know, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking about this in one of our church at homes on, on screen with our devotion about silence and solitude and how does that work in our life? What, what is the importance of silence and solitude? Why, why do we have to slow down to connect with Him? Why did Jesus always withdraw on His own somewhere? What was that all about? Couldn't He just keep going? He was God, right? So why couldn't He just keep going? But Jesus is trying to show us a pattern of living that is sustainable and that will see us get through to the end of the line that He has for each and every one of us. The time frame will be different for all of us, but the goal is exactly the same. Him. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.